every now and then you have that rare gift of meeting someone who has a remarkable impact on your life's tra trajectory. Uh, today we'll be talking about writing through tough personal issues with poet Robert Fanning, one of the few people I can say really has changed my life. Robert Fanning is a CMU English professor. His poems have appeared in many highly respected journals. He is the author of two chapbooks and four full-length poetry books, including the newly released Severance, which blew me away and made me feel less alone, and I can't wait to discuss today. Mm. But full disclosure, I'm going to be kind of long and sappy in this intro, uh, because Robert Fanning is a person who leaves beautiful effects on his students, including me. And the effects you leave on others are really the measure of who you are. Robert Fanning is a kind, vibrant, and disarmingly open man. In his response to one very personal poem I wrote while in a depressive episode, I nearly cried at the way he expressed his own connections to that poem's deep darkness. He inspires students with impromptu speeches about the power of poetry as a tool of connection, and he's also a professor who will bang on a djembe and do goofy dances to demonstrate <laughs> poetic meter. I know we're here to listen to Fanning's thoughts, but I also have to share the major effects he's had on me as a student. When I came back to CMU this past fall, I didn't want to be here. Uh, CMU, it wasn't somebody wanted, uh, it wasn't a place I wanted to be back at again. But poetry class with Robert Fanning was something I could always look forward to. And when I graduate, I can look back at CMU as a place not just a difficult memories, but really wonderful ones, too. He helped me see the value in my own voice, especially my voice as a queer trans man who grew up in, like, fundamental evangelical homeschooling subculture. Uh, he's helped me move beyond shame and fear of speaking out to becoming really unapologetic and honest. Uh, and then that's had a ripple effect because I've become more open in my life outside of writing. And then that new openness is helping people in ways that I wouldn't have expected. It's becoming clear to me that my queerness and my struggles with religion are gifts, not sources of shame. Uh, now, two of the queer faith poems I've written in Phoenix classes are published and maybe even helping some pe people feel less alone the way he's made me feel less alone. I feel a mission and a purpose in using my experiences to help other people, and I owe a lot of it to having a non-religious professor who has encouraged and validated me in the spiritual journey he's seen in my writing, and I know that he's inspired countless other students. And I think that about sums it up. <laughs> And I'm Christine. Welcome to the CM Review <laughs> Podcast. Well, let me just say how moved I was to hear that because um, well, your poems are now teaching me, you know. Uh, I go into this to, to, uh, to help students find um, the deeper parts of their own voice because I think that that's where the best poems reside. Yeah. And you have certainly done that. Um, to the point where then the other students around you see, see your, you you journeying in some difficult territory, um, not only as an individual in, in um, finding out who you are at the deepest levels, but also your poems uh, then become roadmaps for others uh, to take those journeys. So that's why I think this is very important and sacred what mm -hmm. we do, um, because, you know, you, you, the poem that we read of yours in class yesterday was doing... Uh, so many new things, and um, now it, now your poems are teaching me, and you know I I love that. <laughs> I would love to be complimented all day, and thank you. Uh, but uh, first, could you uh, tell a little bit about Severance, uh, your new newest book that just came out? I just read from it last night. I just launched this new book, and um, I'm really excited about it. Um, and it is. Uh, I was saying to somebody last night, and this is uh, fitting for our conversation today that it's a book that sort of frightened me 
when it was emerging and um, and even reading from it last night I, w- I felt myself sort of trembling um, it's a uh, it, it, it's a new book for me it's a new style um, my my last book our sudden museum is more typical of, of one uh, style of writing that and that of mine and that's realism and auto you know more of an autobiographical realistic approach and very solid I've seen my work sort of split into what I'm calling day books and night books. And um, Our Side Museum is more of a day book um, dealing with reality. Severance is more like a dream. Um, you know, you have these two characters uh, in it. It reads, you know, it's a long a narrative, a sequential narrative of these two marionettes uh, who become entangled. And um, one decides to cut the other down. Their names are Professor and Grief, and Grief cuts Professor down, and they escape the stage and go on a journey to this place called Far Shore. So it's it's very mythical, um, but you know, for me, uh, it's this is interesting to talk about this today because because in some ways I feel like it's telling truths that I'm that are emerging for me that I don't even haven't even fully grasped yet myself mm-hmm. that the book terrifies me in that way and ter- terror is awful uh, often an exciting thing too right uh, Raina Maria Rilke said beauty is uh, only the beginning of terror right so I've, those things are linked so uh, this book was pu- the, this book is pulling me into new revelations into new places for me so it's exciting it's uh it's it's a rebellious book for me i was sort of um hammering and smashing down everything i've been taught about poems and i think you know we spend part of our journey as writers um especially young writers building that building that fortress of who you are as a writer building the pillars building the rooms building the spaces and then um, i had reached a point where okay i've i've built i've built this place and and now something wanted to come and take it down an ocean in me wanted to knock it down to start a, a new direction so anyway i'm i'm talking too long but but it's a, and it's exciting to have this book out in the world yeah that um that leads me in something i was already wanting to ask which was um you know elements of uh, real life uh, show up in both the books mm-hmm. and you've been open about how a lot of your experience with really terrible grief has um impacted your poetry and I was wondering, in what ways is it helpful to write difficult poems more grounded in that sort of realistic, autobiographical style? And in what ways is it helpful to create characters or maybe whimsical situations instead mm-hmm. and telling some of those same struggles? That's uh, that's that's fascinating. I, a great question, too. Um, our Sudden Museum, was I was working on that book for each of my books... I'm I'm re- I'm realizing now uh, has about ten years in the making. Our sudden museum was more like fifteen years. There's a lot a lot of life in there. I lost my brother Tom to suicide. I lost my sister Amy who died um, during surgery. I lost my father who died of uh, natural causes. And um, you know I've lost a friend. You, you know you get to this point in your life where you, you know you start to lose some people, but. Um, but to lose two siblings, I, you know, I was grappling with a, a lot. So I think that book is, you know, just trying to make sense uh, of, of the unknown. Um, it, that book wanted to solidify some of the spiritual chaos of loss and, and, and really write very grounded poems about them. You know, uh, the, one of the poems in there, Staying the Night, about my sister is, 
reads almost like a catalog of physical objects in her apartment that I stayed in the night mm-hmm. after she died. So very physical, like wanting to find the history and the tangible of the soul of the person in their objects, right? And um, so after that book, uh, or as I was kind of coming to a place of completion, as I described last night in my reading, severance was sort of accidental. I mean, literally, I fell on the ice and nearly broke my arm. My elbow broke out of the flesh, and I started thinking about marionettes and uh, being tangled and falling. So it, be- it, it, it came at me from a very strange place. And I didn't intend it to be, again, about loss or grief or anything. I just I was going where these puppets were going. And, of course, they were going deeper into some of these places and finding new entanglements in me. There's a lot about religion in there. There's a lot about the poet and and, and uh, relationship to audience. There's a lot about identity. And um, so it that book goes even deeper into some of the same stuff. Yeah. You know, into some of the same. And I'm, I'll be dealing with, um, you know, or rec- trying to reconcile some of the some of that chaos for my, my, my whole life, you know. So how would you say you balance diving into dark struggles in your writing while still taking care of your own mental well-being? That's a great question. Um, and I, 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 I'm very careful with my students in talking about this because you take a risk, you know. You take a risk going toward trauma <laughs> that you've suffered. Uh, it, it's you, you take a risk um, in causing yourself harm again of course in opening up old wounds to go back to them um so you know i i think that i think it be it 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 can be very therapeutic the act of going toward the pain and trying to make sense of it can be very healing but you have to know that going on that journey going down into some of the pain you suffered is going to hurt it's not going to be easy because you're revisiting what we really want to escape. You know, we really want to escape those parts of ourselves that are broken or uh, frightening to us. So you, you, there's a risk in doing that. But I have found in my life that um, going to those places for me is healing, ultimately. Uh, when I was writing the, the aforementioned poem about my sister called Staying the Night, I remember just weeping, like almost keening, you know, where I was just just quivering with grief when I was writing and and poems about my brother uh, who died by suicide as well like just you know just so much pain and, and wreckage coming up while while writing them I wrote one that was like uh, a very angry poem uh, about to him about his suicide you know that didn't make it into that book but um, so you, you're going into you're going back into the battle you know what I mean when you write poems like this you're you know, you can't, you're not observing it from a mountaintop. Um, you know, you're going back into the ghosts of it, the pain of it. But I feel like in doing that, you're claiming a space, you're, um, you're, it's healing because you are, um, you're going back to it, you're revisiting it, and then you can make something out of it, you're making art out of it, which then somebody else uh, is less alone because you've done it, and then they're ready to speak. You know, you're opening mouths 
by by saying uh, some of the things that are hard for you to say. Mouths all around you are opening when they hear these poems. I've had people come up to me at readings uh, when I read poems about my brother's suicide who tell me their grandfather committed suicide, their sister committed suicide, their father committed suicide. They don't talk about it. Um, and now they're talking about it and they're thanking me for having said it, right? So it's important work. For me, it's, it, it is healing, um, but it doesn't come without its risks in, in revisiting those things. Um, so how about revision for that? It seems like it would be very hard to revise a poem that's so raw. You know, what a good question. Not it. Well, I think I, I think the danger, especially young writers feel, is I, I have to be so true to what happened. I you know, it has to be quite literal and I can't mess it up, you know. Um, but as as I always like to say, memory and imagination share a border, right? Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, revising it isn't is isn't that much different than revising any other poem. Um, you're, you're still trying to make sure the imagery is as clear as possible. Um, you know, the, the nouns are the best ones you can find and so on. You're still doing the work. Um, but there is this feeling like, oh, I can't, I can't go back and change it because I can't, I don't want to, I have like to be so true. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we're looking for emotional truth, you know, uh, not literal truth. And, the, and, and it's a work of art you're making, right? So, um, you know, like the poem I keep referring to, Staying the Night, um, is, uh, you know, there are some maybe objects that I imagined that I, I didn't quite remember, but it, it's immaterial, really, because the poem is about what it's about, you know. Sure. Um, if, if the hand towel was yellow or white, is, it, does, it doesn't matter in the end. Um, it, it's the emotional truth we're after, so... But um, but revision doesn't feel that much different, <laughs> except maybe there is a, a little bit of more of an emotional investment to get it as right as I can, you know. When um, so I guess I'm wondering. Then are was was that a poem that was particularly difficult for you to write, or um, with poems? I guess what I'm wondering is with poems that are particularly difficult to write, how do you work through that and? revise it like in general with with i mean i know you've already kind of got the emotional that, pain of it yeah um well i mean i do think in in our own ways we have to do our work all of us to um you know to maintain our mental health as well whether 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 it's therapy or exercise or a combination of both you know we all have to kind of uh, do our work to be as healthy as we can so um so I, I try to, to keep up with those things, too, you know, especially if I'm going into some of these harder places. To me, I, you know, I, that's the those are the best kind of poems. Um, mm -hmm. I, I like poems that, that, that go hard places because, you know, there's so much we don't understand um, about the human spirit. And, and, um, and I feel like there's a direct correlation between the risks uh, and emotional... Um, depths we're going to go to as a writer and the investment that the reader is going to bring you know i feel like the the, the harder places i go and and um and the deeper places i go the more the reader is going to be impacted by them a lot of the time and this isn't to say that i don't write a lot of really goofy funny poems too i think we have to do both frankly as writers you know um you know or some of us anyway. I need to do both. I, I, you know, I think if our sudden museum was filled with elegies, it, you know, it'd be a different book. But I like that it's also also got poems about my children being born and you know a lot of uh, joy. I was I wanted a book that was really true to all, the whole experience of living, which yeah, it you know the Buddhists say you know we're in a we're in a realm of um, 
millions of sorrows and millions of joys, you know? <laughs> now, I've been told that when you publish a book of poems or short stories that they like to have, the publishers like to have something in common throughout the book, one kind of common theme. And you had already mentioned that one book was like night and one book was kind of like the dark. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, the, the night and day thing is, is sort of more just, just how the books feel to me. Some are more solid, some are more dreamy. The, the, these two books um, are, are distinct in the way that, um, from each other, in the way that our Sud Museum is what we would more call a collection of poems on various themes and, and, and subjects. So it's got some elegies in it. It's got, you know, um, poems about a, a whole lot of different things. Um, you know, there's a poem about my sister playing the flute, um, a, a poem about a silo, uh, a poem about ventriloquists. It, it's it, poems on different things. Um, and our severance is really almost like one long poem. And we would call that a, a book of poems. A lot of people are kind of kind of using those uh, different words now, a collection being a loose collection of poems and, and, and that one being more of a uh, sort of a, th a book that has a thread throughout. But... Um, I don't know. Um, I, f I feel like even when you're writing a disparate collection of po poems, there are stylistic threads that weave them together. You know? Okay, sure. So, but this, you allude to this trend in poetry um, publishing that some publishers really do love to have poems that are really interconnected. And, um, but, you know, these trends come and go too, and um, publishers are looking to um, always find the newest, latest thing too. So, um, I, there's just so much good poetry being published right now of all different kinds. So, Well, you were saying earlier uh, reminded me of uh, a while back when I was trying to write through something uh, that was really difficult, and um, an older poet I really admired uh, told me about how once she was, you know, she kept trying to write, write about something, and she couldn't, she was really struggling. And then she knew that she got the right poem, that she had found it, when she felt like physically sick to her stomach. Mm. And to me, that's, I don't know, I've often kept that in mind looking back. And so sometimes I will go those places because it feels like, you know, almost like an exorcism. You just need to get certain stuff out. Sure. And um, I was wondering, do you ever have experiences like that? And um, for you, sometimes is that a sign to take some time away? And like, I, I guess, I guess self-care, you know, that sort mm -hmm, of thing. Sure. Or um, is it often a sign that you want to go deeper? Pressing <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it is physical, right? It, the, the mental and physical are, are, are intertwined. And, and, and yeah, when you're in the midst of a poem like that, for me, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not so much a feeling of um, exorcism or, or kind of a removal of something. It's almost like a, it's like being in touch with something. Um, it's it's um, there's there's almost more pleasure to it. It's almost like just um, I'm holding on to something that you know that I have either avoided or buried, and and now it's it's so it feels almost more like communion. But 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 it it's it is physical. Like I say, like I was saying when I was writing Severance, there were times where I I was I was frightened. You know, I felt the poems taking me in to places I, w I didn't I didn't necessarily want to go <laughs> um, but I was gonna go of course you know um, but I it's I was I was a little bit frightened you know and uh, and so for me it that's the physicality it, it, it it's I can feel it like my neck hair is bristling when I'm writing uh, it, it becomes physical but and, and, and 
in much a uh, similar way to you describe this feeling of like just feeling sick to your stomach with nerves or or, or whatever it is or or wanting to purge something I, I I think I think that's when we're I think that's when we're getting into a, a really very real place with our writing right if it's just intellectual and that's fine too some poets really are poets of the intellect and um, wouldn't have anything to do with this conversation and that's fine there's there are poems for everyone um, there are poets readers who, who want that kind of a poem they don't want somebody's life stuff uh, or they don't necessarily want to you know read a poem that makes them feel sad you know and that's perfectly legit um, I love that there's something for everyone and there, there are different kinds of writers. And, and I wouldn't call a writer who's not going some of these places um, and somebody who's uh, avoiding that. They just are making the decision that's not the kind of art they want to make. And that's perfectly fine, you know. Now, you had mentioned your sister a couple times now, mm-hmm. of course, and your brother a couple times. So it seems like you kind of dance around her as kind of a subject. Now, how do you write do you write about the same experience multiple times in different ways and how do you keep it from almost being like the same thing because it sounds like the couple poems you've described are very very different but they yeah and you know i i never sit down and think okay i'm gonna write another poem about my sister i i I just i'm i just go where my my gut where my spirit is leading me and um you know in, in a book like Our Sudden Mu- Museum, many of the poems are based on memories. So, you know, uh, the poem Flute, for example, I just was thinking about, maybe I had heard a flute or seen a picture of a flute or something, and it got me thinking about how my sister Amy used to play the flute. And so I started writing about how I used to sneak into her room so I could look at the flute. You know, when she was... Not, my sister was incredibly like high security about her bedroom, you know, like you could not touch her stuff, you know. And but so when she was a, a, not home or whatever, I'd sneak in her room because I, I'd climb up on a chair to look oh. at that flute because she kept it hidden away. Um, I'll read that poem. It's fairly short. Yeah, no, go for it for sure. Um, flute. Sister, now I can tell you this, how I'd steal into your room days you were gone, teeter on a chair to reach the shelf, pull the black box down and unlatch it. I'd stare at the disassembled parts, each silver tube snug in red velvet, click of fingered keys, rubbed bronze. I lacked the adequate prayer my lips might blow across you, kneeling over your open casket. Broken instrument, you are not sister and you are not song. How can I lift you now? Even if I knew what notes to play, I haven't the breath to make you music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the poem begins with me talking about sneaking in her room and, and, and looking at her flute, and then the flute becomes her body in its coffin, and I'm remembering the day when I stood over her body and, mm-hmm. and was saying goodbye to her, and so she becomes the flute <laughs> that I don't that know how to so play. Great. And it it almost brings back nostalgia, I think, for a lot of people. Like, my sister also played the flute, weirdly, but um, (laughs) recently I finally conned her into giving me her violin, which Uh, I did not play, but it was hers, and so, of course, I wanted it. And I keep (laughs) saying I'm going to learn to play, but, of course, there's also the piano, the guitar, and the violin, and the violin is not high on the priority list, but (laughs) I always remember used to sneaking into her room for various this or that that I didn't really need or want, but the fact that I was in her room, you know, and... That's great. So the beginning of that poem really... I love that you say that because you can relate to it. I think we can relate to certain things, right? But But what happens halfway through that poem 
takes the reader a much different place, you know, a much more spiritual, much deeper place. And it took me there. I didn't start out that poem to write about my sis- sure. losing my sister. So I think that's there's something in us. Maybe we call it our spirit. I don't know what we call it, but there's something in us that is when we get when we open through that portal within ourselves, it's there and it's saying come to me I, i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna take this poem where it wants mm. to go it has a deeper truth sure. and it's so easy to connect here about me i've never had to bury any of my siblings but it's very easy to connect to it from the beginning and it kind of brings me down that path it's very easy to imagine myself or i'm sure any of your readers so it's fascinating the way that it kind of just morphs and takes you with it it starts from something that we've all done into something most of us have never done and mm-hmm. yet reading your poem we have done it that's so. great well that's a great compliment i i, I think um you know poet I, I i read somewhere that um i think it was the poet kim adonisio that says um you know if you're going to write about your sister um make everyone know your sister make make your sister their sister you know what i mean so i think and you have like really well, that's really great well. thank you because that's what we want to do especially in an elegy um Poetry to me is 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 an, um, a very communal, spiritually communal art form, right? It's it's deeply human. So if we're going into places in ourselves, down 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 within our our, our own psyche, we're actually getting to a place where that's the spiritual ocean. You know, uh, I love Carl Jung, and you know, uh, there's a lot of that in him. But to me, the deeper we go within ourselves, the closer we're getting to all of humanity, right? Um, so that's what's so powerful to me. Um, but I, ha- I want to share a quote that I, I'll never forget. My my mentor, uh, who I also lost, who, who, and I can't even talk about how painful that is to me, Tom Lux. And he reminded us, do not write because of suffering, write in spite of it. And I've never forgotten that, you know. And you can tell the difference. You can tell when a writer is writing because of suffering, where it's really just sort of like a lament, uh, and it's maybe it's t- too self-obsessed, and they, they just want to like be a victim and let everyone know it. Um, I'm guilty of that. Oh, <laughs> I think we all are at times, and maybe sometimes we need to get those poems out. But it's the poems that um, are written in spite of suffering that are looking for something beyond the suffering, looking for something redemptive. Um, and my other mentor, Marie Howe. Uh, taught me that, you know, uh, about really going deep um, to to find uh, forgiveness. Um, you know, she she writes incredibly harrowing poems. I ha- I have her book here that I carry with me often. Her book, What the Living Do, is one of my my own sort of personal holy books. And um, because you know, she has these incredibly painful poems of um, you know sexual abuse and alcoholism in her own family and um but they're incredibly uplifting and optimistic and life affirming and I, I i i think i've been at that mystery for a long time and why i read this book so often because i don't know how she can do that it, it like that's next level like you know to get beyond the rage and 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 the you know the just the wreckage to a place of true redemption like loving those that hurt you <laughs> it's a really special poem that you can read it and it's a different poem every time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not I'm not terribly familiar with her. Like I've read a few poems, but I definitely 
I, I definitely. I was. I was just thinking about how I need to read more of her work, and I think I think you sold me. <laughs> well, let me share with you this poem, "The Attic," um, that is, uh, I, I think, an incredibly uh, brave poem. In this poem, the speaker is. Um, it's really a, a song of praise for her brother. Um, so the speaker is, and and her sister. Uh, are being abused by the father, who is an alcoholic. Um, and it's you'll notice in the poem, it's sort of happening in the background. Uh, you know, there's the there's the strong possibility that's suggested of sexual abuse, you know. But rather than the poem focusing on that, the poem is praising her brother, um, who is uh, building a world where she can love men, you know, um, which is hard um, to do. And it's called The Attic. Praise to my older brother, the 17-year-old boy who lived in the attic with me, an exiled prince grown hard in his confinement. Bitter, bent to his evening task, building the imaginary building on the drawing board they'd given him in school. His tools gleam under the desk lamp. He is as hard as the pencil he holds, drawing the lines straight along the ruler. Tower prince, young king, praise to the boy who has willed his blood to cool and his heart to slow. He's building a structure with so many doors, it's finally quiet. So that when our father climbs heavily up the attic stairs, he doesn't at first hear him pass down the narrow hall. My brother is rebuilding the foundation. He lifts the clear plastic of one page to look more closely at the plumbing. He barely hears the springs of my bed when my father sits down. He's imagining where the boiler might go, because where it is now isn't working. Not until I've slammed the door behind the man stumbling down the stairs again does my brother look up from where he's working. I know it hurts him to rise, to knock on my door and come in. And when he draws his skinny arm around my shaking shoulders, I don't know if he knows he's building a world where I can one day love a man. He sits there without saying anything. Praise him. I know he can hardly bear to touch me. Wow. Dev- that is powerful. Devastating, um, amazing, brave work. And Marie was a real spirit to me. You know, Tom, I got I got a lot of my po- qualities of my work from those two mentors mentors who are quite different. Uh, Marie is very, very soul, very spiritual, very, um, you know, she she encouraged her students to go to difficult places and to those really deep human places. And Tom, you know, a lot of his poems are about history, about kind of the uh, foibles and miseries of, of humanity on a higher level, you know, and, and I actually, I, I actually have both of that. And I've struggled uh, uh, as a young writer, I struggled with Am I, you know, do I write highly personal, more autobiographical poems, or do I pull the lens back and r- try to write poems that are more universal? And I think I'm trying. I think I think I've kind of gone right down the middle of those two poets. So I, I treasure those those mentors for. But Marie, uh, really, I'll never forget one time I called her on the phone after grad school, and uh, she was saying, you know, how's your writing going? And uh, I, I. I, it was a time when I was, I was having difficulty writing about some of the painful stuff in my life. And she told me, listen, write it anyway. Don't worry about showing it to anyone. But it's it's like incredibly important that you write these poems. And, and even if you throw them in a drawer or you burn them in the yard or you crumple up and throw them in the trash, it's very important to write them. And uh, that was very freeing. I realized, you know, I, I could write these poems 
just just to get them out, to get them into the world. And whether or not I take the next step to, you know, make them public is up to me. But and that's a big consideration in this conversation. You know, writing a difficult poem, writing a poem that's maybe self-revelatory or um, that tells deep truths about our life in a personal way is one um is one risk and one uh, one task, but then deciding to take it and make it public by publishing it or reading it is is a next level and another decision, and um, that's really up to the writer. Especially if you've written something about someone else in your family or a friend or someone who's hurt you and harmed you, or you know, then there's there's some serious considerations uh, at that level. So, and it's really a personal thing, you know. Um, but I'll tell you, I was thinking about it before we had this conversation today because one of the first poems I wrote in high school uh, was a poem about uh, my father's alcoholism and how I, I, I imagined, uh, you know, stealing his, his hoard of beers from him one night and pouring them out my bedroom window and then sort of almost like a beanstalk of beer would rise mm-hmm. up that I would then hack at with a hat with an axe every day to chop down you know my desire for him not to be an alcoholic so I wrote that poem when I was 17 and it was published in the high school literary magazine and so that was one of the my first formal experiences with publishing a poem writing a poem and it was a very very revelatory poem about you know very revealing poem about my family about my father being an alcoholic so I think at a very young age I had this desire to to tell the truth about some things that hurt and and you know I knew other students were coming up to me saying whoa my dad's an alcoholic too or my mom or whatever um it opens up it makes conversation possible but I, di- I didn't know that I just needed to get it out and I think that's often the impulse I just got to get this off my chest I need to get it out and uh and then you have to deal with the rest <laughs> right well finding that somebody is choosing to publish your poem is always a good feeling I know for me it is and it's almost validating that what you're saying matters and certainly yeah kind no of makes you what, braver to keep writing absolutely whatever you know getting a poem published is always a good thing but there are there are some very very critical decisions that need to be made if you're the writer who's going to write things that are very uh self-revealing um you know, you need to think about is this can this hurt anyone else, you know, um, or can it harm anyone else? I think it, it's a it's a very personal decision. And, um, you know, it, it can come back to haunt you in some ways. So you have to be aware of that. So what um, medium do you use? Do you just write on your laptop or are you more of a pen and paper kind of bro? Do you have a whole <laughs> notebook like what's going on with this? Uh, I like both. I, uh, I write in a journal, um, which is sort of I, I call it filling the well, you know, um, just jotting things down and an idea, a line that comes to me, a word I love. Um, usually it's just random, a lot of free writing I do in my journal. And that's the well that I then draw from when I'm starting a poem. Um, but the I, the act of writing a poem in, you know, for the last several, several years I do on my laptop. And uh, I used to use a typewriter even when computers were around because I like the physicality of the paper coming out of the typewriter and to be able to pull it out and read the draft and then put another sheet in. I loved that physicality. We lose that with the laptop, which is very dangerous because we're also losing history of the poem as it evolves. So I save multiple drafts. If I'm working on a poem like flute, it'll, I'll start with flute one dot doc, flute two dot doc, and I'll be up to flute 78 dot doc. I'm, ch- I'm constantly saving it as a new title so that I don't lose that history. Do you ever choose to go, sorry, do you ever choose oh. to go back to an earlier yes. doc and go with that one? So like, I really think 78 was the one. 
I'm going to get rid of 79 through 86. Like, do you ever... That happens a lot because some, especially as a poem evolves, it might start out in free verse and, and start to become a sonnet and then start to become free verse again. Things are changing quite rapidly as we as we write. So I, I make it a point in a night of writing, if I'm you know writing uh, from like 10 to 2 in the morning or whatever, however long I'm writing, I, t- I try to save doc, a new title, uh, a new draft pretty much every like half hour. Um, so that I get a history, a, a paper trail, a digital paper trail of that poem. And yes, sometimes I do go back because I'm like, what was that line? I had a better metaphor 15 drafts ago. So it's very crucial. And related to that, um, I'm kind of wondering if there have been a, about like form, especially like fixed form, mm-hmm. and how that relates to um, maybe difficult emotional issues being expressed. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I don't mean just fixed form. Um, I know like there have been times when say like a villanelle has been really useful to me because there's a certain obsessive quality sure. uh, to the repetition or where um, maybe making some things more visual might amplify things. Could you get into that a bit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a very organic, the process of writing a poem. And I think, you know, I think the the longer you've been doing it and, and the more things you've been trying, you realize you're too, you have a deeper toolbox. So, you know, f- um, you can realize maybe after many drafts that this free verse poem needs something to hold it. And, and that might be a great counterpoint to a poem that's really, really quite dynamic and painful and dangerous. Uh, a, a, maybe a sonnet or maybe a villanelle, as you said, might hold, give it a, a bit of a formal container. Um, to kind of hold some of that in. And I think that's very valuable, and, and uh, uh, I use that a lot. The, the new work, I'm, I've been working on a series of poems about Houdini sort of as a metaphor, and they're all all in received form. So I have Sistina's and Villanelle's, Sistina's, Villanelle's sonnets, um, Houdini being one who would, you know, willingly uh, bind himself. Um, so th- that's a metaphor. Then, you know, the poems are bound, um, but then he would break out of those chains. So so form can be very, uh, form and content should be wedded together at all times. You know, if you're just like writing a poem that's scattered all over the page, that's fun, but how is it serving the poem? You know, uh, is, is the is the content working with that form? Uh, does it need to be jaunty? Does it need to be fragmented? Does it need to be held in its own arms? You know, you yeah, you, ha- you have to listen to the poem. And um, but form can be a nice container for for po- poems uh, that are difficult. Um, and and it also the beauty of form and um, is exactly what some young writers hate about form because it has rules. But the but the but the beauty of those rules is the poem is then kind of helping to to write itself because you know okay I've got a rhyme here I've got to repeat this line the f- so that that can be helpful too it can take some of the edge off that psychic press- pressure especially writing about difficult material yeah they can I mean definitely give you a lot of ideas and creativity you might not otherwise have mm-hmm. um, would you be interested in like sharing a little bit from uh, your new book sure and I'm glad you have a copy because I think <laughs> I left mine in my office this um, is your this is my fourth full collection of poems uh, Severance is and um, it's a hard one to pick a poem and read because yeah, because you know and and in fact I didn't actually publish one individual poem from from this collection uh, because 
I didn't. Well, first of all, I didn't really try very hard. Um, I, I, I had a sense that the publisher I was with would be interested in it. And um, these are really poems that don't work so well out of context. Uh, they, they're very strange, you know, because they really need each other. It's like it's like trying to publish one page out of your novel. Sure. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't now, make sense. If people really like your book, they can get it at. Is it in the bookstore? They got to go through you. They can. Well, Severance will be available on Amazon and all those other outlets probably in I would say maybe next month. It was okay. published literally on, I think, March 29th or something. But um, you can order it from the press, from salmonpoetry.com, um, and then you're supporting the press directly. And they, even though they're in Ireland, um, it's like, I think it's 24 euros. Uh, for, then you'll, if you spend 24 euro, you'll get a free book. So that's whatever, 20, 20 bucks or something. So if you, you know, if you buy two, two books, you get one basically for sure. free. Um, so, and then you can buy them for me too. I have a whole box of them at home. So email me if you want one. I'm going to read the first poem in the book. Uh, these two, so these two puppets, these two marionettes are in a play called Winterland. And, um, and so you'll you'll get that from this poem. And this is this is where really they get sort of entangled at the end of the poem. And it's called We Play for the Audience and the Sentinels of Day. In Winterland we jaunt and whirl all old song to pulleys and script. It's as in a scene of us puppets, all silver strung as caught fish, in the coming of ice falls a snow like snow, through blue filtered light on stage, into our mouths, our good open O's of going and old song. The audience sings, where do the fish go, the fish go? as our manipulator nimble fingers us with cross and string from up above the beams. And we dance so as to dream we dance and believe, believe, as the audience clap, 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 mouths old song and day and follows with their fingers our lines, our lines, when grief as if unthreaded, goes off script, half lit, upstage. Not as the scene's been blocked, grief. Were I the master of jaw hinge, I'd say to him. Now, off stage and out of beam and day, we're jerked by the pulleys to stay. So that's the first poem oh, in the book. Snap, 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 snap. Oh, thank you. So I still can't quite snap. I got you. I'll do it with both hands. That <laughs> no, sounds like you can do it too. You know, I. Uh, I've taken all these poetry classes still. That's a snap. There, I got it. I did it. Only just learned. That's so. This moment, your poem has has so. unleashed his snapping abilities. That's yeah. very important. The snap, you know, it's it's not as um, it's not as rude as a clap or intrusive. You can just snap and show your appreciation. No, but it's far less satisfying than an entire room <laughs> clapping for you. <laughs> a couple snaps here and there is nice, but when people are roaring their appreciation at you, there's something nice about that. Not that I would know, but you know, I imagine. The one time I was in a play in third grade, it felt pretty good. So there you go. <laughs> I was a good worm. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, Severance, yeah, it's it's really it's really wild to read. Like I I started and it almost like a novel. Once I get into a novel or mm -hmm. something, it really draws me. And I was struggling to get myself to stop reading it uh, once I started it. Oh, and that's then wonderful. I, I love hearing that. No, and then I so then I stopped and then I couldn't stop thinking about it and sleep because I was like I need to sleep. But then I kept thinking about it and. Uh, then I, I've yet to finish it because it feels like now I need to be in the right zone for it because it's so encompassed. I feel I that way that. sometimes about certain like 
poems or like albums or things, but it's oh, I love it's that. really it's been mm. especially helpful to listen to because I feel like I'm starting to do something sim Good. not similar like yeah. but like uh, as an, a much more amateur uh, writer, I'm starting to move more away from like realistic going inside all the time sure. to like stuff that's more outside or more imaginative Absolutely. and often similarly wrestling through dark things so good it's, yeah it's, reminds, it's a great book that reminds me of music like when you're on spotify or whatever and you flip through something like, i'm not deserving right now i'm not in the right mood so you flip past <laughs> like no sarah mclaughlin for me right now <laughs> and you just go and you're like foster the people is far more appropriate well, for right now and so i'm the same person who didn't listen to my favorite band's first um latest album when it came out for like months because mm -hmm. i wanted to be in the right zone for it so well, I love this conversation because I love, well, I love music too. Music is really big in this book, as I'm sure you noticed. Um, but also I love, I love uh, how an, um, an, album, an album has atmosphere and environment and it's its own universe. I think one of the great tragedies uh, in our time, um, tragedies may be a little dramatic, but is, <laughs> is the death of the album um, because the album is, is, like an, is like a novel or a book. You know, um, that, that track list... Uh, Musicians work really hard to lay out that track list and to make make the album an experience of of, of its own universe. Um, I, I keep joking that this book is my kid A because I love Radiohead and you know when you look at the arc of that that band, um, the trajectory of their their work, you know it, it was building and building into something. An OK computer OK computer was something of an apex. It was like the crystallized perfection, the masterpiece of them as a rock band. And then rather than can try to continue that, they come back with a, a band, uh, an album called Kid A that basically shakes half of their fans off the boat. <laughs> um, they want, they just did something wildly different. And so this book is that for me. It was a, it was a bit of a risk, I realized. You know, people who love our sudden museum and love that realism and want more of that, they're not getting it in this. And so... Uh, and I think that's really important for us as, as artists, um, no matter what our medium, to to just do what we're going to do. Kind of um, stretch your legs and stretch out and see what you can reach. Do what you're going to do. Um, you know, if you're if you're being called to do something very different, do it. it you know, if you want to write another book like your last one, that's okay. It needs to work itself out. But um, so I, I I love that. And and somebody very I got a great compliment last night from somebody in the audience and they said I felt like I was in a different universe like you built a different universe in this book um, and that was a huge compliment because I think that's um, I th that's what it is for me it's its own world you know it has its own language I mean there are, there there were words flying out of me when I was writing this I didn't know where they were coming from throat pipe um, sh you know um, new song old song all these words that i didn't even quite know what they were when they were they were coming out there were some really weird uh compound sentences that I, i'm trying to think of some, there a lot of them really surprised me and they were it was cool to, it was cool to see because there's a different meaning than if they had been separate mm -hmm. um i do feel like you know the benefit one benefit with what you're writing is that like I feel like maybe if somebody like me who reads um, some of the poems in our set in museum i'm young and you know Mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough that I haven't experienced a lot of the kinds of grief that you've gone mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. um, it might not be as easy to immediately connect with mm -hmm. um, in a realistic poem like mm -hmm. that, but mm -hmm. I feel like with some of the whimsical stuff, it's kind of similar to, say, sci-fi mm -hmm. and, and dealing with issues. And mm -hmm. I don't know, sometimes I think it can do a better, have a unique ability to connect people. 
Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think so many young people like yourselves now and um, and even younger um, people are, are growing up reading terrific YA novels and sci-fi novels and just like stuff that, you know, we had like Ray Bradbury, who I adored as a kid. And there were other great sci-fi writers. But now... Uh, um, you have so many good um, fantasy novels and, and sci-fi novels, and um, and I think you know all of those are, are you know those that work is is metaphor you know for for worlds other worlds but worlds within our own world and and so I I I'm, I'm I didn't realize it but maybe this severance will connect more w- with you know younger readers who are already used to that I mean it is a little bit. You know, it's mythical, but it's also a little bit fantasy, too, right? You have these two marionettes who are all of a sudden in a coffin-shaped boat on a dark river going to a place called Far Shore, where you have these people called the Gone who are in schoolhouses learning. You know, it's just, it's, it, I don't know where any of it came from, but I think younger writers might latch onto that a lot easier. <laughs> I don't know, I could see, like, the same sort of emo kids like me who really liked, like, the Tim Burton movies. Yeah. I could see, I could see, like, there being some some appeal to that or um I know. love that connection Cat or really like Alice in Wonderland meets Narnia <laughs> like does that make sense the idea of traveling mm. and like everything's kind of not really uh, that's a good mm. that's a good link too yeah um what was the one you just mentioned um oh Tim Burton yeah Tim Burton uh that I love that because his his are very whimsical but also very dark at the same time right they can be uh, they're just incredibly rich and complex and emotional. Uh, his films, yeah. And so I love that. And um, I, I know you haven't. I know you haven't watched Doctor Who, but if this if this convinces you, uh, <laughs> I also I also feel some of that similar thing with um, the the dark whimsy of some Doctor Who. But um, so you'd mentioned young writers and connecting with them, mm-hmm. and you know as we wind down. Is there any particular advice you'd like to offer beyond what we've talked about to newer writers who might be struggling to figure out how to write through something difficult? That is such a a powerful question. And, you know, I would say, similar to what my mentor said, Marie, that it's very important for not only um, us as writers, (coughs) excuse me, but also for us as human beings to to work with what we've been given and to revisit um, <clears throat> and to work through the pain um, we've suffered. Uh, I, I feel like um, trying to box that up and put it away and forget about it um, causes us a w- much wider world of pain um, than going in and disassembling it and looking at it. But, um, but you know, to young writers, I think young writers have a calling to do that often anyway. You know, there's the old cliche of the teenage angsty suicidal poem. I think, you know, teenagers at that age, that's an incredibly difficult time of life. It's a passage. It's a, it's a narrows, you know, where the heart is trying, is feeling bigger and bigger, but it's also feeling the constricting uh, pain of the world pressing upon it. So that's going to create a lot of, uh, feelings that we need to escape our heart is too big for this narrows right so i you know i just tell writers what marie told me and that's and that's write everything down uh you can write in a journal you can write it in a diary and keep it locked up with a secret code or you can write it and publish it um but you need to write you need to write who you are and um on some level um, or you can use persona right we haven't talked a lot about persona severance is in some ways 
using persona, right? Somebody said to me last night, this is autobiographical, isn't it? And I was terrified by that question. <laughs> um, because, yeah, of course, in a lot of ways it is. I mean, I think everything we do is, but it's heavily, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a few curtains. It's playing with, with the metaphor of theater, right? There's curtains in front sure. of it. Um, they're thinly veiled. But um, so I, I just think young writers should just write what they want. Obviously read. Um, we're in a really rich time in contemporary poetry, right? There's an, you know, an ever-expanding universe of, of terrific queer poetry, trans poetry, poetry by uh, writers of color, um, women writers. It's just, uh, you, you know, so many voices are saying, uh, you know, that everyone has a place and, and that everyone has a voice. Um, so it's an exciting time uh, to be a young writer um, because I think no matter who you are as a person, you can look out and, and see somebody, you know, cutting a trail, a new trail through the woods uh, for some young writers. So, um, so you can write about whatever you want. <laughs> uh, you can write about who you are, but also honor what you want to write about. I, the poems I was writing in, in my twenties, I didn't really want to write. I didn't feel a calling to write really autobiographical stuff and to go to some of the hard places. Cause I knew at that time it wasn't, I didn't want to do that. And later on I did, you know, so don't ever feel like you're doing the wrong thing. You know, like writing really autobiographical stuff. Uh, if you're doing it in the moment, you're doing it because something in you needs to do it. Um, you know, but if you're not, and you know, if you're writing historical poems, um, or if you're writing poems that are very funny, my God, we need funny poems. We need mm -hmm. so many funny poems. I'm a huge fan of Shel Silverstein. Yeah. I say yeah. that like every podcast. Yeah, obviously our conversation today is about the hard poems, but we really need that counterbalance. Um, there are great anthologies of humorous poetry. So write whatever you want. Um, but I do tell young writers, and you've heard this in class too, Rob, that if we find we're always going toward painful, dark stuff, I think part of the self-care as a writer is to write something funny or weird or different or not about our, ourselves or our life, you know, to really balance that out, to try to find balance that way is very important. Right. Now, as, as we kind of come to the end of our time together, what, what's next for the great Robert Fanning? What happens next? <laughs> well, I'm working on a new book. I'm hoping to finish it this spring. Um, <laughs> and this one came out of nowhere, too. I, I, it's uh, at least a, a big chunk of the book is about... Um, a man carrying a corpse everywhere he goes. Oh, awesome. Um, that and, that um, sounds familiar. It's we're not talking about that. <laughs> it's so of course, you know, corpse being metaphorical, but um so he, you know, there are poems where he's on a blind date and he's trying to fix the corpse which keeps falling over. Huh. He introduces the corpse to his family, oh, at, you know, at Thanksgiving we dinner. We ask these questions of course so that we can steal your ideas. And <laughs> throw them off it, well, you know, I, I find there's nothing new uh, about I, that's that. That's kind of new. There were there were corpse <laughs> carriers back in the day, but anyway. So I, there's that. But then you know it's it's morphing into these poems about Houdini as well. And, sure. and so so I'm I'm just I'm working on a manuscript, and then it's getting it, it's getting weirder and wilder. Uh, there's um, there are some one page one act plays I'm inserting within the poem. So it's opening up and getting really exciting. I'm in a good place with the manuscript, but I hope to finish it soon good good great yeah. sounds delightfully weird and bizarre um, <laughs> i myself am strange and unusual good yeah. I, I, I wish i could to think, quote beetlejuice <laughs> at you <laughs> i wish i could think up some really random thing you i don't know maybe maybe you can make like another running theme be like spatulas that just show up out of nowhere maybe they can fly i don't know i'm just 
I'm just I'm just trying to be helpful. <laughs> uh, if you if you could have your corpse carrying a spatula, that would be good for Rob. So. All right, I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just remembered a spatula poem. I actually do need to write. What uh, would you do if it turned out that there was a spatula in his new book? Would you be like, call Rob? I'd feel blessed. <laughs> I'm very we're excited. Next week we're going to be talking with Ari Berg. Hopefully, yep. And that's he's a hero of mine. I was, he I was is. There is only one Ari Burke in the world. And there is, and <laughs> and he's a portal to you know millions of ancient stories. And uh, he's yeah. just he's just he truly is uh, a, a well, a fount of knowledge and spiritual knowledge, um, historical knowledge. I, and of course, he's got several books out also. Yeah, yeah. So he's we'll just talk a, about that. He's a hero. Yeah. Well, something you said earlier. Uh, made me think of a Mary Oliver quote that mm. I think will be perfect to end on. Good. Uh, her, her poem, The Uses of Sorrow. Mm. Uh, in, my, in, in my sleep, I dreamed this poem. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. <sighs> that is the perfect place to end. That is it. And bless her and... Uh, uh, and W.S. Merwin and all the poets we've lost recently who are just angels. And she truly was. So thank you. Fun fact, just to end it on. I, my biological mom passed away when I was young, and I just saw my grandpa, and he handed me one of her journals that was pure poetry. Wow. And I was like, wow, must be nice to have talent. So, wow. <laughs> but it, it's just always kind of startling to read somebody's poems because it's such a window into themselves that you've never... You know what I mean? Like my mom always, my my adopted mom always says, uh, nobody knows your heart of hearts. Yeah. But I think that poetry kind of opens the window a little. So. Yeah, you know, you, you, it's a window into the person, but also into our shared humanity. And that's what that's what we're getting at today, right? Um, sure. And, and in the individual's pain is is really, um, is is a shared humanity. Because, you know, poetry, po- poetry re- really works to um, build our bonds of empathy. I, I remind my students of that all the time, it's a, um, which is a muscle we especially need now in the world. Um, um, but it's, it's really important for us as human beings. So, so one poet's experience who c- could be wildly different from my own, but um, on one level, but the humanity of it I share. So it's very important. Sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for having us. CM review. Rob, but also I gotta add robertfanning.wordpress.com if you wanna read any more of his poems. Thank you. So and I'm Christine, and obviously this has been Robert Fanning. (laughs) (laughs) Till next time.